Good morning, church. My name is Ray Brandon, the pastor for preaching here at Northbridge. Uh, just a few things before we introduce the speaker for today. Um, we are um, we're in our summertime, and um, I just I just want to to give thanks to God for His faithfulness uh, through you, His people, this summer. Um, as Cody said, you know we have the have had the opportunity to send ten pastors through their final training in Latin America. Um, of, with word partners. That is no small thing. So thank you for your generosity. And that's, yes, that, let's give God the praise for that. that is, that's an amazing thing. And that's happening in just a few weeks. You know, we're encouraging their hearts, which means, um, you, you know, you take our church and, and you multiply that times 10 times and you think about this auditorium, next service, and you know, those are the people in Latin America that your blessing um, in this, in, in a short amount of time, you're having an impact on their lives um, through our missionaries. That is no small thing. That's no small thing. So thank you for your faithfulness um, through the summer months. Usually, the summer months are that um, the dip in giving, the dip in participation, and you know, I, I know that we've come through this time of like closure in COVID, and we're kind of seeing an upswing in connection, which is wonderful. Um, but we're seeing that through this summer. People are connecting with people. They're connecting with God. They're connecting with ministry. And that is a wonderful thing to, to see. You know, we, we have, uh, we've been on this journey. We're continuing to get better about reaching the next generation. That's one of the things that is near the heart of our church and our church family is reaching people for Christ. And that begins at home. And so Thursday nights, if you haven't been a part of Thursday nights, um, the fellowship is really sweet, and let me just let me add a caveat on that because um, I'm, I want to encourage you to continue to come to Thursday night. Um, it's an all church family Bible study, um, as well as be thinking about signing up for small groups. But let me give you this caveat: I talked to um, a, a, the director of small groups for a very large church in North Carolina. It's it is the largest church in the state of North Carolina, and they said you know, one of the things that we're fighting in um, and it's multi-campus, it's thousands and thousands of people. They said the message that we have to send, it was, and um, they said that this is not something that is just a part of our church. We're finding that it's just something we're dealing with within Christianity. Is the whole idea of shopping for community, shopping for friendship. And um, they said that this, is, this happens within our small group system, and we're trying to figure it out. Because this idea of shopping for community um, really denigrates, it, it downgrades community when people feel they've been shopped, right? When it's like, well, yeah, you know, that group is just not, I, I just don't fit in that group, or that group's, I, I got to find somewhere that does it for me, right? And you think about that, and you think, think through the lens of the gospel and what God has done for us as rebels calling us, giving his life and laying his life down for us to bring us into his family. And that is what we're about. We don't shop for community. We build it, right? And, we, and that's part of Thursday nights. Um, that's part of small groups coming up, right? We don't shop for community. That's not what God did. That's, that's, he laid down his life. And so that's, that needs to be part. That's a gospel expression. Um, we, you look at this room like, um, man, we're different in here. We got all kinds of differences, but it's the gospel that brings us together. 
Um, yesterday, um, so I'm, I want to encourage you um, to, to be a part of that and to, um, to go into to community saying, this is something I'm going to lay my life down for. I'm going to work for. I, w- I want God's glory to be in this. We were, we were up at, at Lake Ann Camp. A number of our campers, our, our teenagers, young people came back from camp. So we were up there, our kids, and we, we have um, six um, of our young adults who are counseling and working at Lake Ann. And so we were there for their roundup for the week, and they had something like 400 and some campers, and they had 57 young people that came to know Christ uh, this past week. That's an amazing thing. And so they they were in their circle. They've got about 100 workers, and they counted off, like all the way up to 50. I would would do it this morning for you, um, but they did that because, you know, every single one of those is is a life, is a person. And, and so that's, that's very much a part of the lifeblood of Northbridge, is seeing people come to know Christ, and, and we need to do that in our homes. That's why we do integrative worship, and so, um, you know, there's families here, there's families um, that are joining us online with we the, the worship and training um, downtown, uh, downtown, downstairs on the lower level, um, and uh, that's very much, we want to see people come to know Christ. It's part of what we do and who we are. Um, one of the things that I, that I want to draw your attention to is just a great book, and we have like 20 copies of this available. It's, it's called um, Let the Little Children Come. It is not just for little kids. Um, it is about how to integrate worship seven days a week, and we want to help you do this. We're actually changing some of the language of our liturgy so that this can become a tool that is useful for you at home um, because uh, we... we um, when we look at our liturgy and what we do on a regular basis, the, the segments of our, it, it followed along with some of the things that are in here, but it didn't use the same language. So we're actually changing that, um, and you'll, you'll notice how we talk about the service, so that how you do worship at home, your children will hear some of the same words, some of the same things that they're hearing here on Sunday. This is just a marvelous resource on reaching the heart of your children at home um, and, uh, um, and, and linking that back to worship in the church. Uh, this morning, we have uh, our speaker is Chase Smith, and Chase is with Campus Outreach. And we have um, a university of thousands of students uh, from all over Michigan, the Midwest, the United States, and literally all over the world um, that is five miles directly south of us. And that is something as a church that has been on our hearts. We, when we launched CityGate Church, our church plant, um, they were over a year doing a fourth service at one o'clock in the Bernhard Center um, at, at Western Michigan University. They had students involved, and then they launched, and they launched in, in Portage. There's opportunities that we've been praying about, like, Lord, help us to reach the, the student population. And that is not an easy task. Um, and students cycle through every three to four to five years. And you really have to have a presence. And we've, we've asked God as well, how do we connect students with church? Because whether they're young or they're going through college, you know, church is the thing that, that until Jesus returns, it's his plan for the, the maturing of believers and for the witness of Christ in the world. So we're really thankful for Chase and Jessica, the team, the, a number of families that have moved here from out of state 
uh, to begin uh, campus outreach, which is uh, very focused uh, on, on the students there at Western Michigan University and has a high value uh, for the gospel and for the local church. So I'm going to let Chase tell you more about uh, campus outreach and his ministry. We want to welcome him, and then we really want to pray about how is it that we can help campus outreach Chase as the director and then the number of, of leaders that he has um, there working at Western Michigan University. Chase, welcome to, uh, to Kalamazoo. Thank you for being here with us today. Okay, there we go. Maybe even a, too, a little too loud now. Always having microphone problems. Um, and when you work on the budget of a college ministry, you have even more microphone problems. So <laughs> the other day, there's a side story. We were sitting around and, gosh, this thing. Um, talking about, you know, how can we make our events awesome? And what makes events awesome is music. People love music. And I was like, we should buy a, a speaker. We've got, like, these old-school speakers. Like, they weigh, like, 400 pounds, and you're, like, lugging them across campus. We should buy a new one, you know? We are like, who's going to buy that? And it was like, I don't know. We'll just, we'll pray and hope someone uh, donates one. So, um, so what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about our ministry, a campus outreach, talk a little about me and my wife, and our team that's coming up, and then share a little bit about um, God's Word and how it speaks into mission and how we, me, you, all of us together, are going forward in this together. And so my name's Chase. My wife, Jessica, will be at the second service. You guys don't uh, get to see her this time. My grandparents are visiting from out of town, and so she's kind of entertaining them this morning uh, while I came here for the first service. So I grew up in central Illinois. Um, in a town called Delavan. It's about 30 minutes south of Peoria, if you're familiar at all with central Illinois. My wife grew up in like the far western suburbs, and we met at college at a place called Monmouth College in western Illinois. Uh, I came to Christ right before college. Um, a guy on my basketball team, believe it or not, I played basketball. I know I don't look like it, uh, but I did. Um, and a guy on my basketball team had befriended me uh, and began to kind of ask me spiritual questions. I didn't grow up in the church, not even like a little bit, you know. Like, I, I never went to church ever. And so he starts asking me these questions like, do you believe in God? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, I believe in God. He's like, well, you know, what happens to you after you die? And I was like, I don't know what happens to me after I die. And so I was like, where are you coming up with these questions at? You know, do you have a book? Where do you find these at? And so he keeps asking me questions, questions, questions. And eventually he invites me to church, invites me to youth group. Um, and I kind of get involved in this gospel-centered church. They share the gospel, and I learn about Christ. I learn about the Christian message. I start studying the Bible. And over the course of about the next two years, I wrestle with, do I want to follow Christ? I understand who he is, that he's a historical figure. He lived, he died, he was raised. But he's calling for my whole life, and I don't know like, if I want to do that, right? And so about two and a half years later, I end up um, coming to Christ go to college, basically knowing nothing, uh, and I meet a guy in my dorm named Adrian Steele, and Adrian was a junior living in the freshman dorms. He was from um, the suburbs of Chicago, and the freshman dorms of the college I went to didn't have any air conditioning, and so I'm wondering why this guy's choosing to live in the freshman dorms, and so he's hanging out with my friends who all play baseball. He doesn't play baseball, um, and one day I'm sitting in his room late at night, and I look up at his bookshelf, and I see Desiring God. And I look at him, and I didn't even know what Desiring God was and who John Piper was. And I, I look at him, and I say, Steele, are you a Christian? And he goes, yeah, are you? And I was like, you know, I think so. 
And he kind of is like, well, man, I've been trying to share my faith with all the guys in your dorm floor. And I was like, really? Like, I kind of had a feeling, you know, like you're spending all this time together. And so over the next few months, he got me connected to campus outreach. He was just a student involved. I met the staff. Um, and what I realized is I had known the staff, but I thought they were students. So they're just everywhere. You're in the dining hall, they're there. You're at seeing the football team practice, they're there. They're in the weight room. They're in people's dorms. They're everywhere. So I just figured they're probably students. We're going to find out they're like 28 with kids, you know. And they've been sharing their faith with the football team, with the baseball team, with the soccer girls. And so at the time I've come to like the first campus outreach like group Bible study, there's like 50 people. And we're doing, like, people are sharing their testimonies of how they came to Christ. And I'm looking around, and people are like, well, I'd never grew up in church, and I came to Christ. And I never grew up in church, and I came to Christ. And I was in church my whole life, but then I didn't understand the gospel. And I just thought, man, like, what I had learned in the church that I came to Christ through was that I needed to be on mission. And now I'm seeing it lived out on the campus, and I'm seeing people who I never thought would, you know, know Jesus professing Christ and trying to share their faith. And so, over time, got involved with campus outreach, obviously eventually went on staff. In the meantime, my wife's a year younger than me. She came to Christ on a trip, um, a missions trip, kind of randomly in Nicaragua. And so, she came back, got plugged in the ministry, had a chance to share her faith, see a few girls come to Christ, and lead other girls to Christ, um, and we ended up getting married. And so, for the last four years, I've been working um, at a school called Bradley University in Peoria. You guys might know Bradley if you watch March Madness. Um, and that's kind of where we spent our last four years laboring, and from there, we kind of knew we were going to have the opportunity to start a new campus outreach region, and so what I want to do is give it just a quick, like, overview of campus outreach, so you guys get a, a kind of flavor for it, and then I would love just to help that, like, kind of tee us up to have conversations in the future where I could explain more with you, so the mission of campus outreach, or the vision, is to glorify God by building labors on the campus for the lost world. And so to glorify God, that's our purpose. That's why we do what we do. Uh, We do it by building labors. And so this idea that we would share our faith with people who don't know Christ, and that we'd equip them to share their faith with a third generation and a fourth generation, to raise up godly families, to share their faith in their neighborhoods and their workplaces and places like that. We do this on the campus because people are available. Uh, That's the big thing. People are just available and the second thing is, is that it's really like a missionary launch pad. If I share my faith in my neighborhood, in Peoria, we had the chance to meet a lot of our neighbors, is most of those people will stay there, right? They have jobs, they have families, and that's great. But on the campus, all of our students, like I just saw um, a bunch of students graduate from our ministry at Bradley, and they all went to different places, Madison, Wisconsin, Chicago. Um, one girl went to Hawaii, various other places. And so you get this chance to see people go a lot of different areas and share their faith and be laborers. But lastly, and most importantly, and this is kind of where our partnership comes together, is it's for the lost world. And so if a mission agency or ministry or whatever is only focused on our little thing and our little place, it doesn't really become that effective. Because if I just try to build a huge ministry at Western's campus with 400 people that come to our weekly meeting, and then four years after they graduate, they're kind of floundering in their faith, not connected to the local church, no longer laboring, no longer growing, no longer leading their family, then it didn't really matter how many people were to our local, or our local campus ministry um, because we're for the lost world. And so we're trying to equip our students to be sent from the campus to not just grow for four years, not just labor for four years, but to be on a trajectory of growth for 40 years. 
And so when I had the chance to speak to churches like you guys who are preaching the gospel, who are trying to see laborers raised up, who are trying to raise godly families, I just kind of sit around and think, you guys are really the heroes because that's what we want all of our students to do. We want them to come to worship on Sundays. We want them to be involved in, in small groups. We want them to be raising godly families. And really, we're just getting the product of your guys' efforts. They come to our campuses, your guys' sons, your daughters, your granddaughters, your grandsons, your cousins, your neighbors. They're the people we're getting from the campus. And they don't come to Christ on the campus from our efforts without your efforts for 18 years. And so what you guys do is so vitally important. And what we're trying to send our students out to do is things like what you guys do, to be involved in a local church, to raise up godly families. And so what you do is so important. And it's a privilege to be able to come and spend time with you guys because what you do is so important. And so I want you to hear me say that and to know that it really does come as part of our vision. So you hit the next slide. So our method that we use is just evangelism discipleship, this idea of multiplication. And so if you kind of look out, you guys have probably seen this. Um, it's just one person, put me at the top or whatever. Obviously, I just come in the long lineage of many people. Um, and I share my faith with a guy named Eli. He's a baseball player at Bradley University in Alain Cabeze. Um, he's a junior. He's a student from the Congo, actually. Those guys profess faith in Christ. Um, and then they go meet other students and share their faith with them and try to equip them to then go and share their faith likewise. And so that's kind of the model of our ministry. Uh, you can hit the next slide. So these are some pictures um, of kind of this playing out. So my wife is sitting kind of far right side in that picture on the left there, um, cooking with some girls that are involved in our ministry. Um, and so this is during COVID. We just try to do things to get people to gather together, obviously kind of difficult. Um, but a lot of our ministry, I'll get to this, is built on this idea of life on life. And so under the principle of more is caught than taught, you guys ever heard that before? Um, that's kind of our lifeblood of our ministry, is that our ministry moves on the back of life on life, of relationships. And so most of our ministry is spent either just one-on-one, -on -one, spending time with people in the cafeteria, working out in their dorm, or at our house, doing hospitality, things like that. So you can hit the next slide. These are some other pictures from, this is our house in Peoria, this isn't where we live here, so at Bradley, so students eating dinner, the shoes by the front door, um, our house is like right next to campus, and so it was literally constantly filled with people, um, sometimes kind of inconveniently, but that's sort of how it works, so um, you can hit the next slide. Um, some other students, this is a Super Bowl party we did during COVID, and so um, different guys who are at different stages of investigating Christianity, some have professed Christ, um, some were just beginning to kind of look into these things. Um, and so you can go to the next one. And so the question is really, why would you be interested in what we do? And so you know, at the next slide. Um, and I would just say the impact of the college camps, and I explained this earlier. And so go on the next slide. Um, this is from Illinois. And so I, I did this for people who support us in Illinois, which is our experience so far, right? And so what I say is that it becomes a missionary launch pad. Each of these arrows represents... Our, so Peoria is the center, and each arrow represents where someone that came to Christ or was discipled in our ministry went after college for the purpose of getting a job and sharing their faith wherever they're going. And so these people who are actively involved in trying to engage in evangelism in these different parts, so the Quad Cities, Springfield, which is the capital, St. Louis, Chicago, and the Chicago suburbs, and various other places as well. Hit the next slide. Um, and these are the places nationally that I've known people personally to go. And so you get California, Texas, Alabama, Missouri, Iowa, Michigan, and various other places. People have been sent out with the purpose of sharing their faith. 
You hit the next slide. And then even internationally. And so um, we've had students move to Guadalajara, Mexico. We have a campus down there that happened from a student who was studying internationally that led a guy to Christ who was discipled, who started a campus outreach in Guadalajara at Teso. Students who came from India that professed Christ and moved back to India, Jordan, um, and other places like China. And we just had a student who was sent to be a missionary in I can't remember where now, somewhere in northern Africa. Um, he just he was going to go to China, but COVID kind of diverted his plans, so he recently had to change his location. So, next. So, just a couple personal stories. This is my buddy Alon. Um, Alon's from the Congo. Uh, we used to joke he's from a place called South Pekin, which is like the middle of like nowhere, Illinois. Uh, he's not from South Pekin. Um, he's about the most cultural guy in our ministry, but Alon grew up um, in a church in the Congo, kind of grew up with a Christian family, but would probably say that he was pretty undeveloped or unmature in his faith and didn't have much of an outward look. But I've had the chance to see Alon develop in a vision to share his faith with other students. And it's really cool because you'll see Alon hanging out with, you know, frat superstar 2021 and like the most international student you've ever met, like that speaks French. You know what I mean? He speaks multiple languages. That's what other people in other countries do. Um, but Alon has been so effective in building relationships and sharing his faith, and it's so encouraging, and it's really encouraging for this reason. So late in the spring, Alon connected with a guy from the Southern Baptist Convention who was a missionary to Alon's hometown. <laughs> and so the guy was there to revitalize churches, inspire them to share his faith, and it was awesome. He's like a great guy. Um, he had to spend like three years learning French. He had to go and get his MDiv and all these things, and it's like really cool, and Alon was so pumped to meet him. Juan became like a, a small superstar in the Southern Baptist Convention because he's from the Congo in Peoria for the time being. I mean, he's, amazing. he's like, he's a great guy. I was like, yeah. I was like, you know what, Juan, what's even more awesome is you're going to go back there and you're going to get a better job than like anybody in the country. And you already are equipped in this more ways than that ever will be. You understand the culture. You've been trained in evangelism, discipleship. You've had your theology refined. And it's like you are in such an advantageous spot. And that's the glory of the college campus, is seeing people like that sent back home. Like, they just go back home and go places we never could. And so that's a long, hit the next slide. And then my buddy Nate, so if you watch March Madness, uh, Nate was a basketball player at Bradley. He's actually playing the TBT tournament right now, if you guys watch on ESPN. It's like an alumni college basketball tournament. So Nate came to Christ at some point in college, um, and basketball players at Bradley, I don't know what they're like at Western, but they're kind of like superstars. So, like, if you're walking along the street, people, like, stop their car and be like, oh, my gosh, you're Nate Cannell. And I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Chase. It's nice to meet you. Um, but Nate would say that for his first three years of college, even after he came to Christ, is that he was self-focused. And I remember the summer going into his senior year, we were shooting around one day, playing horse or whatever. He's probably beating me for, like, the 30th time. Um, he looked at me, he's like, hey, man, do you have any Bible studies I could do with, like, non-Christians? I was like, of course I do. That's, like, what I do, you know that. I was like, why? And he was like, well, you know, a couple of guys in the basketball team that are here for the summer, they want to, you know, read the Bible. I was like, really? And I was like, who? And he starts naming off, like, guy after guy. And these are, like, guys that never grew up in church, like, no background. I was like, that's pretty cool, Nate. And going into that fall, um, he looked at me one day as we're getting ready to go meet some guys on campus. And he said, man, I don't know what happened. Because my first three years of my life were spent focused on me, and it's like a light came on in my life, and I only can think about how do I give my life away for others. So eventually, 
Nate kind of passed up a really awesome job um, at a company and decided to raise support and go on staff for Camps Outreach, which is uh, pretty astounding for him. Uh, and so he was, like, not involved in our ministry hardly at all except just doing evangelism. Um, and now, so he works at Eastern Illinois University, um, which is really cool. So next slide. And so we're going to Western. Um, obviously, you guys are more familiar with Western probably than I am at this point. Next. Um, and just a few of our values, and I'll go through these quick, and I would love to expand these later. But one of the values I think will matter for you is our emphasis of the local church. And so the local church plays a high priority in our ministry because we know that campus outreach is for four years, but the local church is, like Ray mentioned earlier, you know, until Jesus comes back, right? And then the church will just be gathered in heaven. Um, and so the local church's primary is we really aren't a parachurch ministry where we exist alongside of a church and kind of encourage it or whatever. We exist under the authority of local churches. And so we partner with Good Shepherd Church here in Kalamazoo. Um, it's a PCA church kind of southwest of here, I believe. Um, and so we do that because we want students to be raised up in the context of local church. But our ministry maintains an interdenominational profile on the campus because we realize people fall out different, like theologically and things like that. And so we're there to share the gospel and to train people in simple um, Christian life things and then sending them out to the local church. And so they'll inhabit all sorts of different churches, like Northbridge, like Good Shepherd, and various other places. Um, the authority of the word is that our message and method comes from the Bible, and we submit ourselves to it. Gospel saturation, people have to know Christ in order to become a Christian, and they have to grow in Christ in order to grow in as a Christian. And so we don't graduate beyond the gospel. And then lastly, life on life, is that our ministry moves on the back of a relationship, and that's a high value for us. You can go to the next one. Another Western slide next. Um, and so this is kind of where I'll close, and we'll skip the last few slides. But what we're trying to do at Western Michigan is something really simple, but over the term of our lives, I think will be really impactful. And I use it like this analogy. I call it the acorn to oak tree. And so we want to go to Western and do the things that the Bible says well. We want to go plant our little acorn at the heart of Western's campus, in the dorms, in the fraternities, on the athletic teams, in the cafeteria. And we want to go share the gospel broadly. We want to pray. We want to be worshipers ourselves. And we want to see that acorn begin to grow, next slide, until it eventually becomes an oak tree. And the oak trees is representing the impact of the gospel over the course of a lifetime when these students are sent to different places and to different vocations is impacting everything we see and do is that they're changing the way we do construction in Western Michigan. They're changing the way that government works in Western Michigan, and that neighborhoods are being transformed as the gospel goes forth, that families are being transformed as gospel laborers go out and raise up new generations of Christians, even though Christ has never been proclaimed in their families. That people would be transformed in the prison systems, like I said, neighborhoods, cities, and all those things. And so we're trying to see the acorn grow into an oak tree. So, next... And so why would you care? Your students are going to the campus, and our students are going to the world, and they need the church. And so our relationship is vital. And Camp Sarah can never be divorced from the local church. Um, we're only an arm of the local church on the campus. Next. And so opportunity numbers, people say there's about 21,000 students at Western, um, and there's about 470,000 undergraduates in Michigan. It's um, the fourth most populous uh, state for college students like in the country. And so it's pretty astounding. Next. And so with all that being said, I want to close and kind of switch gears here. And so 
um, to go in and share how you guys are participating with us in this mission as we try to reach Western Michigan. And so if that's piqued your interest, um, this slide I have, um, I would love to connect with you after the service, chat, whatever. We could set up a time to get together. Um, and just know that we would love for you guys to join our prayer team. And if you're so moved, we'd love to have you join financially as well. We obviously can use it if we're starting something new. And so we're trying to raise up our prayer team to about 400 people, and we're currently at 170. And so as many of you as could be supporting us in prayer would be greatly encouraged, and I'd love to connect with you after. So with that being said, um, let's spend a little time in God's Word um, as we kind of close our time together. And so if you could open to 1 Peter 3, um, I'm going to read 13 uh, through 17, um, and just kind of share a simple truth from God's Word um, that I think will impact the way that we're partnering together to reach the city of Kalamazoo. So um, verse 13 says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let me pray real quick. Father, um, bless us in the hearing of your word to obey. God, that we would all go out together, partnered in mission to reach Kalamazoo, to change the state of Michigan and send labors into the world. And so let us be impacted now to engage a hostile culture. Praise in Christ's name, amen. So real quickly here, I know my time is coming to a close, um, but just so you get a quick setting of why I think this passage is relevant, is that the Christians in 1 Peter are dealing with hostility, but probably not physical persecution. Their heads probably aren't being threatened to be cut off, probably not going to be burned alive at the stake. They're dealing with the stray glance. You know, you sit down with your coworkers, they know you're a Christian, and they kind of look at you like, what are you doing? You know, or someone asks you your views on name your political issue, and you kind of, you know, gingerly kind of um, convey them to them, and they kind of give you that look like, how could you believe that now? Or someone you're trying to share your faith with says, man, it seems like you're pretty closed-minded and exclusive. And I think that the Christians in First Peter are dealing with those same things that we are. Um, it's a very like social um, ostracization. They're being put out socially. They're not being um, able to have the jobs that other people are able to have. They're kind of being denied other social privileges that others are thinking to have. And they're running into this thing that they have to make a decision. The tension socially is competing against the tension of their faith. And those things eventually, one kind of feels like it has to give out over the other. And some of them, I think, are considering abandoning their faith. Some are considering just conforming who they are to the world. Some are tempted to reduce their view of God to meet cultural standards so they don't stick out like a sore thumb, like we've all felt that right. And I think fourth, is some people are wanting to keep their faith but respond aggressively and hostily towards the, the culture. And so when they're persecuted, they think, I'm coming back at you. When you say my beliefs are stupid, I want to come back at you and say your beliefs are stupid. And we've all felt all four of those responses, right? That urge to say, like, man, is it even worth it? Like, doubt is pervasive in culture, and it's pervasive amongst all of us in this room. Is it at times the flare of doubt comes up? At times, we're convinced, like, 
What's most important about me isn't my faith in Christ and that I'm united with him. It's my job. It's my money. It's the neighborhood I live in. It's what I engage in with my time. And so we conform our identity to the culture. And some of us have been tempted to reduce our view of God to say, God, like, you know, that thing? Like, are we going to die on the hill of that issue? Are we going to still live these values out? Is that tenable in our culture? And these Christians are also faced with that. And I think some of us have responded with hostility, me being one of them, right? You sit in the cafeteria with the kid, you know he's an atheist, and he says, well, how could you believe the Bible's reliable? And you just blast him. You know, you're like, have you read any books? Do you know anything about the Bible manuscripts? And he's like, I don't know anything about that. I just think it's stupid, you know? And, and so you just ruin your relationship with this guy to defend the validity of your own faith. And we have that hostile disposition and so with those being some of those temptations we're faced with, how does Peter instruct his audience to engage in mission in this hostile world, which is the situation we find ourselves in? And so I think there's just a few lessons that we have to take from here to show how we can engage Kalamazoo together for the gospel. And so I think the first one is that we proclaim Christ and so I want to do this under the rubric of three simple points. We do the right thing, proclaiming Christ, in the right way, using the methods of Christ, with the right motivation. Do the right thing, in the right way, with the right motivation. And so the first thing is, we proclaim Christ. And so he says in verse 15, you know, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do a gentle respect. And so Peter says, be ready to make a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you. Paul calls that hope Christ in you. And so the message that Peter is saying to defend, and elsewhere, I mean, Peter is like a missional textbook in some ways, how to do mission in a hostile culture. Um, and he's saying, we're defending Christ. We're defending the hope we have in the gospel. Christ, our union with him, that we raised with him, that he's our only salvation from sin. That's who we're proclaiming. We're not proclaiming a lot of other things, although we might speak into them, the thing that one thing we're ready to die on the hill of is Christ. We're ready to lay our lives down. We're ready to, we will never put our flag down waving it for the gospel. And so the first lesson is this, we proclaim Christ unwaveringly. The second lesson that we want to take from this is that we use the method of Christ. We do it in the right way. And so I think the thing that we pick up from this is this idea of life on life. And so in verse 15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And so what, me, what happens if someone asks you something is that you know that person and that you were able to spend time with them. Strangers that you blasted with, like, you know, the burn or turn kind of mentality, they don't ask you questions. They run away from you, right? And so Peter is presupposing that we have relationships with non-Christians, that's the underlying thing, is that we are Christians, his audience, engaged in a secular culture. And so it presupposes that we would have relationships with non-Christians that are close, that non-Christians would be in our homes, that they would be on our kids' sports teams, that they would be around us, that they would be coming to church, that we would be working with non-Christians. And in some sense, we would be really close friends with non-Christians, people who don't think like us people who don't believe the things that we believe, people who we disagree with sharply, so that we can win a hearing to them, so that they would listen to us when they ask the questions. 
And I think that Peter has learned that from Jesus. Jesus had vital relationships with non-Christians. Is that he was spending time with his disciples. It's hard to know exactly when they came to faith in Christ per se, right? Along with prostitutes and drunkards and gluttons. So much so that he was identified as being a drunkard and a glutton. Because he was so close with them that people from the outside looking in said he must be one of them as well. Obviously he wasn't. He was perfect and holy. But he was so close. And Peter has had 30 years to ruminate over how did Christ do evangelism in a culture that was hostile towards him. And now he's just conveying that to his audience. But lastly, we have to have the right motivation and the power to do so. And so this is where I'll close as we're, our time is drawing to a close here. And so we do it um, with gentleness and respect. And the, and the question becomes, how do you deal with a hostile culture with gentleness and respect? And I think this is how is that you do it by the power of Christ. And that comes out in two verses here. Verse 18 is the first, and it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so the four is the connecting verse of the previous passage. How do you deal with the culture with gentleness respect? You do it because Christ did. So Christ, who was righteous, died for the unrighteous, us. Christ went to the cross with hostile people and laid his life down for them. So we have the example, but also... It was a substitution that regained us access to have a relationship with God that connects us to the promises of God. And so you see in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are promised inheritances, imperishable, undefiled, and fading because of Christ uniting us to himself and raising us with him. And so we have a future that outlasts our physical circumstance, our social circumstance, our relationships. And so we can be beaten, we can be mocked, we can be scorned. But we always know that we have a union with God that he looks at and says, I'm pleased with you. So we don't need things from the world because we have what we need from God. But secondly, and this is probably the most important part of the passage, is that the issue at stake here is one of worship. And so if we have more time, we could dissect this. But the issue at hand is worship. And so in verse 13, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so it comes down in verse 15 to this issue of are we going to worship and adore Christ? Or are we going to worship the opinions and circumstances that life puts us in? So are we going to worship Christ, bow down before him, and live to please him? Or are we going to seek the worship and approval of the world around us? And I think many of us don't engage in mission because we're needy. We're needy for the affirmation of others. We need them to look at us. We need them to make us feel safe before we share our faith. But Peter here is instructed to say, it doesn't matter what happens to you physically or socially, if you're a worshiper of Christ, is your life circumstances aren't the thing that finally determines your destiny. They don't determine your identity. They don't determine your inheritance. And so... You don't need people. You don't need them to affirm you. You can be put in a place of physical suffering or social suffering for the sake of others to know Christ because you're a worshiper of Jesus. And so I think this issue of worship is the pinnacle point that will either empower us to go forth in mission or hinder us from going forth in mission. And so as you think about how do I engage in evangelism in Kalamazoo, in my family, in my neighborhood, it comes down to this issue of worship. 
Are you going to bow down to Christ and say, Christ is who I live for, Christ is the one who died for me and united me to the Father? Or am I going to continue to live for the safety, comfort, approval of the world around me? And I think if we can all bow down before Christ as we are proclaiming here as gathered worship, I think we'll all partner together to give up our lives for the sake of those who are much different than us. And that's the greatest witness in the world, right? The world is hostile towards us, and if we react hostily towards them, they think, what's there to offer that's different than what I have? But if we say, man, I'm willing to suffer and die and lay down my life, my privileges, my rights, for the responsibility of sharing the gospel with you, they might sit back and say, you know, they suffered for what is good. They were persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I think there's something to be said for that witness. And so I hope this is helpful. Um, and I'd love to chat more about it uh, if we had time after. But I look forward to talking with you after, and it's a privilege to come and speak with you. So let me pray, and then we'll go on to the next part. Uh, Father, and we thank you for your word, God. And I pray that you would grip our hearts with worship of you. God, consume us with a passion for your glory um, and a desire to worship you that would overflow in the evangelism, God, of our um, neighborhood, God, our families, our city, uh, and our campus. And so we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chase. I, I, want, I want to bring a challenge to you as, as a church, and as I do, if every one of you would just reach down, and if you're watching online, just grab your cell phone and go to the response card at www.northbridge.me or use the, the church app. And all of us, including those of you that are young, I know many of you that are young have phones, or you can lean over to your parents and say, hey, I want to be a, a prayer partner uh, for campus outreach. And um, we, what we'll do, if you fill that out and you just put in that response box, so you put your prayer requests in, you say, hey, will you put me on campus outreach or Chase's mailing list? We're going to get your email address to Chase so that you can be in the loop about what's happening um, at, at campus outreach. You know, I, this, you're in today, in this morning, uh, a both and moment. You're, you're, you're here, and we are in a both-and moment. I think you're a lot like me. I'm a both-and guy. Do you want this or this? I want both, right? That's what, that's what we, we want both. And here, here's that both-and moment. My, my father-in-law, who pastored uh, for many, many years, and I watched his ministry as an associate pastor in youth ministry, um, in that small church, not a church um, much larger or smaller than our church in western Pennsylvania, um, out of that church uh, came evangelists, missionaries, pastors, several hundred of them. You know who was producing those people who were giving their lives, oftentimes going to Bible college or ministry training? Um, it was homes. It was Christian homes that were producing missionaries, pastors, evangelists, lay leaders in the church. It was Christian homes. Um, there, there I, I, I think I, I sent out an article uh, to you, and I'd encourage you to go back to that article. It was um, written in The Federalist. It was an article in The New York Times. It was about the Southern Baptists and the idea of evangelism and just looking at the numbers. The critique was... Uh, of that is that this denomination um, would be multiple times larger if they just reached their own children. It's significant. Now, and I'm not saying this about um, campus outreach, but there are whole ministry models 
right now that recognize the Christian home is not only not producing pastors and missionaries and evangelists and lay leaders, the Christian home in America is not producing Christians. And they have shifted, because uh, in ministry, we, we talk about the leadership pipeline, whole ministry models have shifted to a campus ministry model because they're seeing young people like Chase coming to know Christ outside of the Christian home and give their life to Christ who've never experienced Christianity before, right? That, that's, and I say we're in a both and moment. Here's the both and, right? We are committed, and some of you have realized, like we went and started on this journey in 2016 of saying, hey, there's something broken here that the gospel fixes. Let's be about that at Northbridge. And some of you have realized, oh, we're, we're talking about certain things. We're picking up some momentum when it comes to our homes. And it doesn't matter if you're single, you're a part of that home. It doesn't matter if you're a grandparent or great-grandparent, you are a part of a home, and you are a part of a church household, a church family. And so some of you have realized, oh, we're picking up momentum on some of these things, and yes, we are. We're very committed to this. This is why we're both and. We, are, we, are, we want to see our young people know Christ and um, hold forward for generations faith. Um, we also understand as Christians that we are called to reach the lost. And so this is a both and moment, right? And as we are faithful here, uh, as your pastor, um, I would love to see our church connect with campus outreach. And I'd love to see us in, in a number of ways um, connect. Prayer, uh, I'd love to, for, for these families to know that they have physical resources here in the sense of like, you know, if they need somebody to pass out hot dogs or they need so, like they can call on Northbridge to help them reach young men and women for Christ. I'd like to see our church support campus outreach financially. Right? That means that's dependent on your faithfulness. Um, so this is a both and moment. You know, my, I, I began by telling you about my father-in-law. You know, those charts that uh, Chase uh, put up, you could look at his church and say, you know, you could do those arrows all over the world, right? Um, I, I want that to be true of 8824 Douglas Avenue, right, and five miles south of here, right? It's a both and moment. But you have to decide, right? It's not about me as a leader saying, this is what I want to do. We're a church. The decision isn't made right here. The decision is made right here. It's your decision. You know, so I, I believe that we need to seize this both-and moment. And I know some of you as parents are a little overwhelmed, right? You're like, I'm struggling reaching my own kids. We get that. Right? We understand that. That's, that's why we're doing the things that we're doing. My kids think church is boring. They don't get it. Right? Okay. We get it. Right? It's a both and. It's not one or the other. Right? Jesus died for the sins of the world. The gospel is true. It rescues us. It rescues families. Um, it rescues those that have no idea that they're lost. And we're doing that together. So I would challenge you. Right? How is God speaking to you through this message this morning? 
What are some of the things that in your life need to change to be a both and person? How are you going to work? How's the gospel working in you so that you go to work for your family so that as the church, we might reach people in our community? It's not one or the other. It's both and. We're going to give you the next few moments um, to consider that. And I, I would just appreciate if you just very prayerfully, as John sings, um, that you would just bow your heads. You, you can go use that, finish filling out that um, response card if you're at home. Um, fill that out as well. Uh, and consider this both and moment. How will you respond this morning? Right, well, this church, this is, this is pivotal. Right? You are, your decision this morning has weight, not just for you. Right? It, but for our church, for this community, for Southwest Michigan, you know, God can use you. What's your decision this morning? And don't think that you're too young to think about this. You're not. And what kind of families are you going to raise? You know, young people, it starts today. It starts right now. Right? What kind of person are you going to grow into? You know, are you going to grow with God and flourish? Or are you going to be the one that needs rescuing? I pray that you'll walk with Jesus today. Let's pray, and John's going to lead us. We're going to take these next few moments before we're called to the table of communion uh, to consider our response to the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know the hearts of our people in here, and we desire that you would use us. For we understand and are grateful that your sacrifice has been given for us. Uh, we do not deserve your grace and your mercy. And so if it's leading us this morning to coming to an understanding of our sinfulness, I pray that that would be the case. If it is understanding a deeper level of the fact that um, you loved us, that we were enemies, and we... We are idolaters in many ways, putting other things before you um, when you put nothing before the glory of the Father and our rescue. And we, we and you rescuing us glorified the Father. I, I pray that you would press that firmly on our hearts um, so that we would say we're willing uh, to give up everything if need be to see you glorified in this place, in our families, in our church here in Southwest Michigan on the campus of Western Michigan University. Lord, we thank you for, for Chase and Jessica, for those that have already come around um, these uh, families that are, that are here to share the gospel with students. Um, Lord, we know that this is a really difficult time to be public with your faith, and it's very difficult, even more so in an academic setting on a university campus. Lord, we know that you are their protection. You are our protection. And so we pray that protection over your work, over your church, over campus outreach, over each individual student that they will reach even this year. And we pray that we would support them, encourage them, and, and Lord, that, um, that we would see young men and women come to know Christ who would, just like Chase, would give his life to serve you and to see your gospel um, go forward so that others might know you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.